by downloading or listening to this podcast. You are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Moody's Talks Inside Emerging Markets, the podcast that tackles the latest issues shaping the world of emerging market credit. I'm your host, Rahul Ghosh, from Moody's Credit Strategy and Research Team, coming to you from the UK. On today's show, we look at how Sub-Saharan Africa is dealing with the coronavirus crisis and explore what's in store for the region's growth and credit prospects in 2021. As my guests today discuss, the longer-term ramifications of the pandemic on regional economic health and debt sustainability will take some time to crystallise despite a projected bounce in economic expansion this year. And for those lower down the credit quality spectrum, a more dispersed creditor base, including the rising prominence of Chinese lenders, is complicating negotiations for debt restructurings and liquidity relief in the wake of the shock. When the sovereign is going through a process of restructuring with its creditors, having a more diverse creditor base really complicates the entire process. It increases uncertainty and it can prolong debt negotiations. First up on today's show, we take stock of how Sub-Saharan Africa is dealing with the coronavirus crisis. The African continent, which has a population of more than 1 billion, has reported almost 2.7 million cases of COVID-19. Now, that's far lower than the roughly 25 million cases recorded in Europe and over 35 million across the Americas. However, the economic and financial fallout has been considerable, with the region dealt a twin blow from both weaker global demand and constrained access to financing. So will these challenges persist over the coming 12 months? And what will be the pandemic's legacy for African economies? Well, to share perspectives on these questions and more, Aurelian Marley from Moody's Sovereign Team in Dubai joins me on the line. Hi, Aurelian. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Raoul. So, Aurelian, how significant has the economic fallout been for sub-Saharan Africa from the coronavirus crisis and, of course, the wider impact on global trade, commodity prices and investment flows? Can you provide us with some perspective? Yes, of course, the uh, the impact has been uh, very severe. In fact, it's the first recession uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa for decades. Even though the, the numbers are less uh, impressive than for the advanced economies, in fact, the impact is probably more severe because the authorities, the government in these countries have limited capacity in terms of supporting the economy through uh, fiscal or monetary uh, stimulus. Uh, therefore, um, uh, you have a situation where uh, these countries, because of their low income and the fact that you have a, a large portion of the population that is poor, makes it very difficult for them. Yeah, it's certainly been uh, a challenging year in 2020. Uh, looking ahead to the coming 12 months, market optimism around emerging markets generally uh, is quite sanguine. Uh, I wonder, does this hold for sub-Saharan Africa? What are your expectations for 2021, and are you expecting a forceful recovery? I think it's the is the the right question. 2021, we should see a rebound in growth, but it will be mostly due to the base effect of the the comparison with 2020, where uh, you had lockdowns and very low growth. So this number should be uh, taken with a pinch of salt because. Uh, the true answer to the strength of the recovery will really be 
uh, answered by the 2022 growth numbers. Keep in mind also that this economy have a very large informal sector and we are still not sure how badly they have been affected by uh, the coronavirus outbreak and the, and the global uh, recession that was associated to it. So that element in itself is very important. The most vulnerable are, are getting poorer, they are hit very badly. And you have entire sector of the economy that probably will not recover quickly. We think about tourism and retails and, and others. So these questions are very central uh, in terms of uh, getting a differentiation between credit quality. That's a really important point, already, and we, we really do need to take a multi-year perspective uh, to really understand the legacy of the coronavirus crisis in 2020. And with that in mind, how are you thinking about the longer lasting effects, particularly for fiscal strength and for debt sustainability across the region? I think it's it's very important that we understand that uh, clearly because prior to the, the pandemic, uh, the region uh, had already uh, a lot of credit challenges. And in fact, this crisis has just exacerbated uh, those debt sustainability, uh, debt affordability, um, the capacity to generate revenues uh, or to increase the tax base uh, were already topics very important for the region. So the coronavirus outbreak has created even more urgency and with the, the, the growth recovery being uncertain, the capacity to generate extra revenue is going to be even more challenging and therefore the fiscal consolidation too. The question about uh, the ability to, to service the debt and, and the, the, the debt dynamics for the debt sustainability are going to be very high on the agenda this year. Thanks Aurelien. Perhaps finally, of course, Sub-Saharan Africa is a broad church of different countries uh, with varying credit characteristics. But for those lower down the credit quality spectrum, 2020 was a tough year. We saw significant credit stress and the requirement for emergency assistance and, and, and debt relief. Looking at 2021, do you think that these sorts of measures will be sufficient for the most vulnerable? I think it's it's important to, to understand that um, the, these measures were, um, it's not a question of, of sufficiency, it's a question of need. When the, the coronavirus outbreak uh, hit the world, uh, many um, vulnerable countries were excluded from the international market. Their yields went up very high, you had capital outflows, and therefore they, they were uh, dealing with uh, a large borrowing need and uh, the, the support from the international community, the international financial institutions such as the IMF or the World Bank that disbursed a very large amount of money was really needed uh, to help this country to mitigate the impact uh, of, of the pandemic uh, on both the population and the economy. The debt uh, suspension service initiative uh, has been created with the same um, uh, objective and it has even been uh, extended uh, in 2021 for six months because the, the situation is very um, uh, worrisome. The external pressure is such that we have already witnessed uh, some economies having their uh, exchange rate uh, to depreciate quite significantly. And the loss of export receipts due to, um, for example, the, the lower commodity prices or the 
the lack of tourists or the lack of the export earning is very pressing as of today for this economy. Therefore, the need to access external funding is still a, a, a big question mark for many uh, countries and, and will remain one of the key issues um, uh, this year and next. And we'll continue, of course, to uh, to monitor developments across the continent. Aurelian, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. And for those interested in learning more about the prospects for sub-Saharan credit uh, and other regions in the year ahead, you can check out our dedicated 2021 Outlooks Hub at outlooks.moody's.io. So as we've just heard, the outlook for sub-Saharan Africa as a whole will remain bumpy in 2021, even as recoveries take hold across most economies. Yet for the weakest frontier markets across the region, another year of below par foreign exchange earnings, elevated funding needs and heightened credit stress is on the cards. So from a credit perspective, it'll be important to think not only about how large debt stocks are, but which type of creditor they're owed to. To tell us more on this topic, it's my pleasure to welcome David Rogovich of Moody's Sovereign Team in New York back to the podcast. David, great to have you back on. Thanks for having me, Rob. So David, let's start with an important trend that we've seen across sub-Saharan Africa over the past decade or so, and that's been the evolution of its creditor landscape. Can you provide some color around this? Sure. So we've seen a shift to really a more diverse creditor base that's really started about 10 years ago and has continued over the past decade. If you were to look back about 10 years ago or at the start of the last decade, most external debt was owed to multilateral institutions uh, like the World Bank, like the AFDB, and these were on concessional terms, so very low interest rates and long maturities, and because of this, there was relatively low rollover risk. But these loans came with conditionality related to how they were used and requirements related to reforms to governance and macroeconomic policy more generally. Now, over the past decade, we've seen a shift away from this concessional lending to one that consists of a broader creditor base. Uh, first, you've seen more sub-Saharan African sovereigns issue commercial debt in the, in, in the international bond market. And you've also seen a growing role for bilateral lending, particularly from China, where the state-owned policy banks have become some of the most important creditors in some countries. You mentioned two important stories there, David. One is uh, the increasing diversification of funding sources for sub-Saharan Africa. And the second has been the increasing prominence of Chinese creditors. And I'd like to talk about where these two stories intersect. Uh, In particular, what kind of lending have we seen from Chinese creditors in the region? China has certainly taken on a larger role in terms of lending to sub-Saharan African sovereigns, particularly for infrastructure projects. And the loans come with different terms, with some being extended extended on concessional terms, others on semi-concessional or even commercial terms really depends on the creditor and even on the loan itself. Most of the lending comes from the state-owned policy banks, and much of it has come under the Belt Road Initiative, but uh, it's really not a uniform picture across the region. There are countries like Angola, Ethiopia, Kenya, which are among the largest recipients of Chinese investments. And in these cases, they can make up more than half of the external debt stock, as in the case of Angola, or more than 20% of the external debt in Kenya or Zambia. the, the difference between these loans from these Chinese policy banks and other creditors is, is really the, they come with less conditionality oftentimes, and there's a, the, there's a lack of transparency relative to concessional loans uh, from the more traditional multilateral lenders. And, and this is creating a problem now or bec- becoming more of an issue now because 
the response from these creditors isn't always uniform or in line with what we've seen from other creditors. So we've seen you know, initiatives from G20 countries and Paris Club countries to provide debt service relief to sub-Saharan African sovereigns that are facing liquidity pressure. And China, as a member of the G20, has agreed to participate, but some of its policy banks are not participating in these, in these initiatives. As a result, the amount of savings or liquidity relief offered is smaller than it otherwise would be. Thanks, David. And and of course, another reason why this issue matters now is that we're likely to see you know, persistent credit stress over the coming months and quarters, particularly for lower rated sovereigns across sub-Saharan Africa. And with that in mind, I wonder how have Chinese creditors dealt with credit stress and potential debt restructuring in the past? Is there a playbook that they've followed? On a selective basis, Chinese creditors have renegotiated existing loans with with uh, sub-Saharan African sovereigns in the past. And I guess you could describe it really as a differentiated response or a case, uh, on a case-by-case basis, Chinese creditors are willing to provide liquidity relief. And this has been the case even prior to the coronavirus crisis, where we have several examples of Chinese creditors offering liquidity relief. Uh, in 2019, for instance, the Republic of Congo agreed with its Chinese creditors to push out maturities on about two-thirds of its outstanding debt stock by 15 years, and this was really critical to the country reaching agreement with the IMF on a on the program to support economic reforms. In most cases, the, the past restructurings have taken the form of maturity extensions or adjustments in the interest rate and debt service schedule rather than, than a haircut on the principal payments. So it, it, it's focused more on, on providing liquidity relief rather than debt relief. Thanks, David. So perhaps finally, uh, with respect to the more diversified uh, creditor base, how do you think that's going to influence uh, the recovery prospects and perhaps debt uh, sustainability for sub-Saharan Africa going forward? The first point is that the, the liquidity initiatives being supported by the G20 and Paris Club countries aren't necessarily intended to deal with solvency issues, but because sub-Saharan African sovereigns are dealing with a more diverse creditor base and not all of these creditors are participating in, in these initiatives, the amount of liquidity relief that they're receiving now is less than otherwise would be the case. Uh, the other aspect is that when the sovereign is going through a process of restructuring with its creditors, having a more diverse creditor base really complicates the entire process. It increases uncertainty and it can it prolong uh, debt negotiations or debt restructuring negotiations. And we've seen this, for instance, in the case of Zambia, where the country is going through debt restructuring and uh, reaching an agreement with its creditors is really a precondition for IMF support. And the fact that uh, different creditors have different interests and in, have different levels of transparency over the amount of debt relief they're offering has complicated the entire process, has prolonged it, and ultimately it could delay the recovery in a country like Zambia. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today, David. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look forward to having you back on the podcast later in the year to take stock of how some of these issues have played out. You can now subscribe to Moody's Talks Inside Emerging Markets and listen to every episode on your favourite podcast channels, including Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts. Please do share with us your reviews, comments and suggestions for future episodes. But until next time, stay safe and thanks for joining us.